When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I've really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. Hey, everyone. I don't have my usual space to record, but that's because I'm happy to say our entire family is on the move. We've escaped. and We're down in Orange County visiting my 100-year-old grandfather, who I still call Bob, even though I'm a grown man. I know. And just a quick note, if you hear cars or lawnmowers, I'm sorry. I'm recording in a backyard at an Airbnb. You just do what it takes sometimes, I guess. Anyway, for the last six months, Bop has been stranded inside his apartment in an elder community without visitors while cancer has mostly taken his eyesight. And they've just been able to allow visitors, and it felt so good, so good to see him and help him get his affairs tidied up after six months of phone calls where he sounded increasingly frustrated about missing bills and all sorts of debacles that you can imagine would be happening. But before that... When we hit the road, uh, we hit the outdoor lottery and benefited from cancellation. So we were able to spend seven blissful days paddling down the Green River and Canyonlands. It was awesome. Becca is back moving. She even did a cannonball, which was pretty awesome. I don't know if the doctors recommended that, but yep. The kids got a slightly different version of remote learning and our phones disappeared into the bottom of a dry bag. It's been a long summer for our family, a difficult year at work, an even more unsettling moment in history, and it felt so good to be out in big open spaces. We caught frogs, we wandered up side canyons, watched deer cross the river in front of us, and stumbled upon rock art. And each morning, I watched the sunrise while drinking a cup of coffee, and on the last morning, standing there in the cold of the desert, watching the light creep down the Wingate sandstone, I will not lie... I wanted to stay there forever, despite knowing that I would not. The sun rose, we slid the boats into the water, and let the current carry us the last few miles to the takeout, where we dug masks out of the very bottom of the bag where we had abandoned them seven days earlier. And I handed them to Tevin Wiley, who momentarily stared at them as if they'd forgotten what they were. And then in unison, they very solemnly said, Cuz Corona. 
as has been their habit over the last six months, anytime I tell them they can't do something or they need to do something, because corona. And in moments like that, it's tempting to utter the words we all know, back to reality. Like, we say that all the time when we come out of the wilderness. But it belies the fact that there can be many different realities. And some of us are lucky enough to be able to jump between them. And I've always felt those tensions between the twin realities that I inhabit. You know, on one hand, I have an overwhelming desire for calm around me, for the quiet that comes from those desert mornings, for the peace that comes after a long day on the go. You know, I, I love that. And those moments, those, those quiet moments, have always run up against the striver in me, the person who's willing to work really long hours, you know, late into the night to do something that matters. The side of me that loves being a part of something greater, that knows growth comes from tumult. The person who says yes when people ask for help. That duality used to really leave me frustrated, but slowly I've come to appreciate it. There is a time to disappear, and there is a time to participate. Right now for me, for the people I work with, and for many of you, these last few moments have been a time to participate, to watch and act as history unspools around this. And since I started the show, the outdoor community has woken up to the fact that it needs to participate in a greater world of politics. We are no longer some fringe thing that happens on the edges of our culture. We are a part of it. So today, we thought we'd bring you a few short stories about people getting involved and quick perspectives from a broad set of voices all across our country. We hope you enjoy, and more importantly, wherever you are, whatever your party affiliation, we hope you vote. Use it or lose it, as they say. Millions of people have already voted with early voting. This year is anything but normal, and casting a vote has followed suit. We've got a bunch of resources for you if you have questions up on our Instagram, dirtbag underscore diaries. It'll help you navigate things. I hope you all are finding a few moments of peace out there, too. A little bit of calm in an otherwise turbulent time. Our producer, Ashley Langholtz, is going to take it from here. I'm going to go wander around the Orange County suburbs. I'm Fitzka Hall, and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. I definitely did not imagine myself becoming an activist and like sure as heck did not see myself in politics. You know, I remember people joking with me when I went off to Harvard, like, oh, you're going to end up in politics. I was like, hell to the no, I am definitely not. So, yeah, I'm mildly shocked to find myself doing this work. And yet I feel very certain that this is the work that I want to be giving my energy and, and life to right now. Everything that we love is affected by politics, for better or worse. And we can't afford to not be engaged with it. This is Canyon Woodward. He's a political campaign manager and long-distance trail runner. And he's focused on rural races in both. I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, in the beautiful 
backwoods of southern Appalachia. I was homeschooled with my siblings, Autumn Force and Rivers. <laughs> so obviously our parents loved the outdoors. And, you know, my childhood really revolved around the outdoors, playing outside, building networks of forts through the woods and being tossed in burly carts and bike toured around behind mom and dad. Canyon's love, or maybe necessity, for running started naturally and it started early. First chasing his siblings in the woods, then chasing buses when he was running late. Thanks to some encouragement from his U.S. history teacher, who was also the coach and needed runners, Canyon joined his high school cross-country team his junior year. In his first race, he fell, and he threw up. But he placed fifth, and he stuck with it. And mile after mile, he grew to love running along the trails in his home mountains. I think us East Coast runners have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. <laughs> feel like folks in the West often look down on the East Coast, but the mountains out here are serious. The trails don't have those smooth switchbacks and groomed surfaces that folks have out West, and um, there's just so much up and down and all kinds of wildlife. My last big run through the Smokies, I think I ran into three black bears and two different pairs of wild boar, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> Running political campaigns didn't come as naturally as trail running. Canyon learned to be active and vocal in the community through his parents. But beyond voting, electoral politics were pretty far from his mind. I think politics just felt really distant to me and not like not very relevant to my life. And just looking at looking at the people who represent us is just like, oh, these same old <laughs> white dudes who are just like part of this uber wealthy establishment status quo who just like are not fighting for any kind of future that I want to live in. In 2011, Canyon left North Carolina and moved to the Boston area for college. In his freshman year, he got involved organizing on campus around the Keystone XL pipeline, a 1200 mile expansion of the oil pipeline between Alberta, Canada and the Gulf of Mexico. And that's how I met Chloe Maxman. Chloe also came from a small rural community and we were working on this art display together and we rode the bus to get pick up gravel for this display and it was both of our first time on public transit and we had no idea how it worked. <laughs> uh, didn't know that you had to press a button to get the bus to stop at your stop so we went barreling past the stop that we were supposed to get off at. <laughs> That was us, a couple of rural kids in the city, the first real stretch of our lives and getting involved with, with organizing on a scale that we had never been exposed to before. Chloe and Canyon became close friends and they spent the better part of college organizing for climate justice and fossil fuel divestment. And in doing so, they learned a lot about affecting change. I think what became really clear to us over those years was that there was all of this energy and momentum building in the climate movement, but it wasn't having the kind of meaningful effect on politics that we needed it to. And it's not enough to just have folks on the outside organizing around the issues that we 
have to also get leaders elected in office that are willing to work with the movements on the outside. That's the only way that change happens. Canyon and Chloe graduated in 2015. They both moved back to rural communities and worked on political campaigns. They kept in touch and often talked about their work, the wins, the losses, and their visions for the future. In early 2018, Chloe decided to run for state house in her home district in rural Maine. She asked Canyon to join and manage the campaign. He said yes. Then he headed north, and he started getting to know the locals in Chloe's district. Yeah, I think it's easy at the individual level to overlook the importance of of state-level politics. But, you know, the state legislature is is what draws the maps and, and keeps states from being gerrymandered like crazy. And there's so much power in state-level politics for good or for bad. And it's something that we, we can't afford to sit out anymore. In November of 2018, Chloe Maxman won her race and was the youngest woman to be elected to the Maine House of Representatives. And now in 2020, she's running for the Maine State Senate. And Canyon is back on the campaign trail. Campaigns are full on. It looks like a heck of a lot of work, not unlike biting off a hundred mile race and setting yourself to the training plan. You know, you just set your eyes on on election day, November 3rd in this case, and work day in and day out. Like most things in 2020, Canyon's campaign efforts have looked different than two years ago. He had to reconsider not only how to have conversations, but also what conversations to have. In January, Chloe and I launched her campaign for state senate here. And then obviously COVID hit and it hit fast and we immediately stopped campaigning. So we quickly asked, you know, how can we pivot this amazing grassroots network of the campaign towards looking out for the community in this crisis. And so we decided to organize a phone bank to call through all of the seniors in the whole county who are living alone. And the first phone bank had three folks making calls and it went really well. And over the course of the next two months, we had almost 200 volunteers join that effort, making calls to seniors across the district and coordinating everything from rides to the doctor to groceries and picking up medications and there's just such a strong sense of the community coming together and showing up for each other regardless of political party and to us that is just such an example of what politics should be it something that brings out the best in us and is a public service by and for the people. Running has always been a way for Canyon to connect and stay grounded. So even in the midst of the campaign work, he makes time to get out on the trails. There are fewer races this year, so Canyon has been running on the network of trails in rural Maine. The often technical, rooted, and rocky trails offer a sense of familiarity to the trails in North Carolina and also to politics. I feel like we desperately need things that connect us now more than ever and trail running is one of those things for me we share a common connection to the land on the trail that's super powerful and trail running is also one of the places that i connect so deeply with other people and also ground myself and my 
connection to my own body and spirit. And I think those three things, that connection to the land and to one another and to the self is so important in these times. And politics can do that too. It's not nearly as obvious, but there's a really strong sense of place that politics can and really has to be rooted in, especially at the local and state level. And, you know, fundamentally, politics is about articulating and choosing the world we want to create together. And similar to running, that process can get really tough sometimes. (laughs) And it can be really hard to find the energy to push through and all you want to do is quit and maybe (laughs) sit down with a container of ice cream and uh, plow through it. But, you know, it's those tough stretches that so often define who we are and where you have to dig deep and draw on those reserves in ourselves that maybe we didn't even know we had in the first place in order to push through. And I think right now we're, we're really living through one of those moments as a country. Some days it feels like it's all I can do just to put one foot in front of the other and slog through. And yet amidst all of that like weight and darkness, there's so many people coming together and organizing and doing the hard work of imagining and fighting for the future that we want to live in because now is one of those times where we can't just quit and (laughs) plow through that gallon of ice cream we we gotta dig dig deep and find whatever reserves of body and soul that we have and and push through and bring others with us to to make it to the other side together (laughs) After the break, Karima Batts takes us along to climb the hill in D.C. Stay with us. Support for the Diaries comes from Ketone IQ. As I've been getting more and more into longer runs and bike rides, I found myself fighting with my mind. As the miles extend, I feel like my reactions get slower and I make more mistakes, like tripping or falling or just kind of feeling slightly out of sync descending on the bike. On those big days, I've been using Ketone IQ to help my brain keep fueled and sharp. I want to have fun, not bonk. Here's the science. Ketones already exist in your body. When you push up against your boundaries, your body begins to convert stored fat into ketones, which your brain prefers consuming. With Ketone IQ, I feed my brain so my muscles can use the glucose I get from whatever else I eat on the trail. Riders of the Tour de France have been taking the same approach. I am definitely not as fast, but I can apply the same thinking. Give it a try. You save 30% off your first subscription order at ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. Once again, that's ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. The link is in the show notes. Please check it out. Hello, everybody. I'm Karima Batts, native of New York City, outdoor enthusiast, disability advocate, amputee, cancer survivor, and founder of Adaptive Climbing Group. Growing up in New York City, I lived a very urban life 
in a three-family brownstone in Flatbush, New York. We had a front yard, we had a backyard, and I spent a lot of time in it. But I also grew up with two people who loved the outdoors themselves. My pops was an avid fisher. And in order for me to spend time, because I didn't know how to fix trucks, uh, we had spent a lot of time together in the outdoors. Uh, at age four, he got me a Snoopy fishing pole. I hated fishing, but I loved the outdoors. So I sacrificed a lot of that time with him to get to the places that I really loved. I always felt that in order for me to be spiritually balanced, I needed two things in my life constantly. One is I needed to volunteer and serve others. And two was that I needed to be in outdoor spaces. In 2009, Crema was diagnosed with a rare type of cancer. When she was diagnosed, it was already in stage four. Her leg was amputated and she underwent rounds of chemo treatments. Through her recovery, Karima stayed determined to get back outside. She started walking and eventually running again in her local park. But she knew that wasn't enough. One of Karima's friends told her about an outdoor-focused scholarship for young adult cancer survivors, and Karima submitted an application. And they had these lists of outdoor recreation activities you could pick from. And I chose the rock climbing, uh, mostly because I never would do it, never thought I could do it. And I was getting depressed by trying to do all the things that I was doing before. And it just wasn't happening the same way or not happening as easily as before. And it was really messing with my psych. So I chose that one because I didn't have any expectations of it. But to my surprise, not only was I actually able to complete climbs, but it felt really good. And it emptied my mind of all of the baggage that I was dealing with holding on to. Um, in this recovery process. Karima started working at an outdoor store, and as an employee perk, she got to climb for free at a local climbing gym. And she also got two free trips with the store's outdoor school. So I was able to do both things. So I was like, great. You know, I didn't care about how many days I worked or how much I got paid. It was just like, this is good. <laughs> All of this is good. And I was sharing those experiences with the support groups I was in, the cancer survivor support groups, the amputee survivor support groups. And I was like, gal should come, you know, we should do this. In 2012, Karima organized an adaptive climbing clinic at the local gym, Brooklyn Boulders. Over two days, 38 people were introduced to adaptive climbing. That event led to the formation of adaptive climbing group. Even in those early days, that group and Karima's climbing community had an unforeseen impact on the course of her life. And it was a really tough year for me when we started it, because a month after we started it, my pops passed away. And then a few months later, my brother died of a heart attack. And that loss caused by my mom, who had some health conditions, slip into a coma, the stress of that. And then, I, then in December... You know, I had to make the decision to uh, take her off of life support. So that was my 2012, starting Adaptive Climbing Group and then losing my entire immediate family at the same time. And um, I always think of the fact that starting Adaptive Climbing Group, you know, was something that, whether or not you believe in God or not, some sort of fate or universal switch was supposed to happen 
because I think that if I didn't have one climbing family to hold on to, I would have never made it through that year. I would have never stayed even in the city. I was like, there's no reason for me to even be in New York anymore. Nobody is, is here, you know? And that was part of the sanity, you know, to, to kind of keep me here both physically and spiritually. And so my passion is very strong for the climbing community and its adopted family and anything that affects it. And, the, and our voices are so important, how we use them to protect that. And those outdoor spaces that had such a spiritual and physical effect of healing for me and for others is why I'm so adamant about spreading my volunteer time so thin to make sure that it stays that way. So when Karima was asked to join Climb the Hill in 2019, she said yes. It's an annual gathering in D.C. co-hosted by the American Alpine Club and Access Fund, where climbers meet with elected officials and government agencies to discuss policies affecting public lands and the outdoor recreation economy. On day one, about 60 participants met in D.C. They learned the details of the bills under review that could affect climbing areas. Then they broke up into smaller regional groups, and each team got a schedule that outlined who they'd be meeting with over the days that followed. Karima, who worked with the Congress of Racial Equity in college and into her early 20s, was a natural and already familiar with working with elected officials. I did my policy homework. I did my constituent homework. I was like, okay, this guy's a Republican. He believes in this. Who are we meeting with from that office? Okay, I'm going to Google him. Let me see if he has an Instagram. What does he like to do? Skiing. Perfect. Which mountains has he been to? Okay, those are the same mountains that such and such and such climbs. Okay, I'm going to put that in the conversation. (laughs) I'm just like really kind of doing the work and just getting really into it and really um, hopeful, especially after a lot of changes had been made um, that kind of crippled some of our uh, public spaces. I feel like Climb the Hill also gives you that hope that you can turn things around and you can make positive changes. Over the two days in D.C., Karima and her Climb the Hill counterparts covered a lot of ground, having conversations about the importance of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, inclusivity of underrepresented groups, the Colorado Recreation Economy Act, or CORE Act, climate change, and transit to trails. They met with members of the USDA and EPA. And as you can imagine, some were more comfortable than others trading in their buffs and puffies for blazers and ties. To be honest with you, it's what comes out our mouths that is the most important, you know, not who has the best fashion sense or whether their clothes came from Old Navy or Gucci, you know, our climbing community is that diverse. You know, your, the, your belayer may work at Goldman Sachs or your belayer may work at the local supermarket. It really doesn't matter. What brings us together is what we're there to do. At Climb the Hill, Karima sat side by side with people across the political spectrum. It's a bipartisan effort, and that's one of the things she says makes it so special. For Karima, it's not about donkeys and elephants. It's about using her voice to serve the diverse outdoor community and to protect public lands. And that goes for Climb the Hill and at the polls. I feel like sometimes that our current system relinquishes a lot of the other voices that are not clearly one part or the other. And I wonder what would happen if, as diverse as our 
the people who love the outdoors was represented in our government, how different that would be. And some of us are forced to choose between the two sides because that's the only way we get to vote, <laughs> that we only get to have a voice at all. I myself don't belong to either of the two major parties. I think two major party systems sucks. And I think our system should be as diverse as the people who live in it and have as many options. But it doesn't mean that I should not vote. Um, not liking the system or not having the candidate I wouldn't choose for myself personally doesn't mean that I relinquish the activity of voting. I was given this right. I have earned my right to be here. I live here. I was born here. I am a multi, I don't know which generation. It goes back so far. I'm an American, straight and simple. And I've been afforded these rights and anybody who's been afforded the right should use it. That's the best way to honor your ancestors and everyone who has brought you to the point where you are in life is to exercise your right to make a decision for the next generation. Last month, we asked some of our listeners to share with us why they're voting this year. And here's what we got back. Hi, I'm Amy Freeman in the north woods of Minnesota, near a small town called Ely. I actually just received my ballot in the mail yesterday, so today is the day I'm voting. Why am I voting? There are so many reasons, but what it all boils down to is, my vote is my voice. You've probably heard that already, but that's because it's true. When I vote, I have a say on local issues and on a national level. When I vote, it may seem like a small, insignificant act, but I'm playing a role in steering the country in the direction I want it to go. Hello, my name is Perry Cohen, and I am the founder and executive director of the Venture Out Project, and I'm calling in from Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm voting in this coming election because, quite frankly, I don't think I can afford not to. The things I care about most in the world, I feel like are on the chopping block and we need politicians and representatives who will fight for our earth, fight for black lives that matter, fight for people of color, fight for the queer and trans community, in general kind of fight for justice and equity across so many different platforms. Hi. My name is Elizabeth Nakano, and I'm calling from Los Angeles. So I am voting in 2020 because it's a privilege that not all members of my family have been able to exercise in America. I'm a fourth generation American. My great grandparents came from Japan in the early 1900s, and they weren't eligible to vote until the 1950s. Hello, Drew Hamilton, Bear Viewing Guide, coming to you today from Anchorage, Alaska, traditional lands of the Denina people. The politics on a national scale can be intimidating and are important, but just as important is our responsibility to inform ourselves on local issues and vote in the down-ballot races. 
You might be electing local representatives or attorneys general. These are the races where the rubber meets the road of democracy. Here in Alaska, we've got a very small population, and every election we have races that end in a tie or are decided by just a handful of votes. So every vote counts. On a local scale, one vote can be the deciding vote on a stream project or a mining project. Now is the time to get your ducks in a row for November. Check your eligibility. Make sure your address is current. Apply for your mail-in ballot. No excuses. Hey, my name is Ahmad Juf, and I'm calling from Raleigh, North Carolina. Every human being has a heart and a mind. So if we're able to participate by encouraging the amplification of marginalized communities, if we're able to participate in sharing messages of hope and understanding, encouraging basic human etiquette and decency, we can choose the president that is the most human in front of us as well as behind the curtains. And as a black Muslim immigrant, as an environmentalist, as a human being, uh, I want to be able to vote for a president that at the end of the day, when Congress goes ahead and sends them a bill to sign, it's going to be a bill that not only protects the sanctity and dignity of human life, but of plants and animals as well. We're talking wild places. That's why I'm voting, and that's why I believe it matters. Hello, my name is Jose Gonzalez, and I'm calling from the ancestral tradition on stolen lands of the Maidu, Miwok, among others, Sacrastlan, Sacramento, California. And I'm voting because to me it matters. We often say that we vote for the conditions under which we will continue to organize, not for a single individual or a party. We know it's imperfect, but for me, the alternative, not voting, doesn't work. I have the ability, the capacity, the responsibility. It's a right that I am afforded and I intend to be able to use that not purely for myself, but also for everybody else whose decision will also be affected by this one. And for those and many other reasons, I will vote. Hey, this is Graham Zimmerman calling in from Bend, Oregon. And I am voting because I believe in America and I believe that voting is our easiest to get at and one of our best tools for crafting the change that we need in this country. Thank you, Canyon and Karima, for sharing your stories and the members of our community who shared their reasons for voting this year. Our stories come from friends, friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or a story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submissions form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today from John Barry, Bradley Carter, Kai Engel, Ken Christensen, Fitz Cahal, and Cordelia Zars. That's us, huh? Huh, Cordelia? And Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists of Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Cotto composed our theme song. You can find links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Ashley Langholtz and edited by Becca Cahal and Cordelia Zars. Illustration by Walker, graphics by Anya Miller. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal. It's early in the morning. You're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>